Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew 25, and we'll start at verse 14. Jesus is speaking here. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has, who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please do take your seats. And I hope you can all see um, a copy of the handouts. You may well find that helpful to know where we're heading tonight. And you certainly will find it helpful if you can have access to a Bible. We're looking at Matthew 25. It's on page 995 if you've closed it in the church Bibles. Why don't I pray again as we turn to look at God's word together. Father, we confess that our vision of Jesus so quickly gets dusty and tarnished, that we get distracted and we forget how glorious and wonderful and majestic he is. And so we pray tonight that you would refresh our vision of Jesus, help us to see him for who he is, 
Help us to leave tonight once again desiring to live our lives in his service. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Amen. There are lots of different ways to wait for something. Um, Think of a child waiting for their birthday. It's amazing how little children know when their birthday is coming up. Um, My niece and nephew certainly know when their birthday is coming. And from about two or three months out, they start counting down the days until their birthday. And they make their lists and they plan their parties. And they're utterly distracted by the big day of the birthday. They get restless with the here and now. They they get distracted. They can't settle. They're longing for the birthday. And they can't wait until it comes. That's one way of waiting for something. Like a child waiting for a birthday. Uh, There's another way of waiting. Um, Imagine it's our dream holiday. We're lying on the beach in the sun. And we're three days into a seven-day holiday. And we wake up on the fourth day. And we think, wow, I'm over halfway through this dream holiday. And we want to slow down time. We want to savor every second of the dream holiday possible. And so we wait for the end by trying to squeeze every single last second out of the holiday. That's sort of slowing down time kind of waiting. That's another kind of waiting. Um, The final kind I want to mention is um, the emperor penguin kind of waiting. I I discovered recently that emperor penguins are amazing. Apparently, the the male emperor penguins have the job of incubating the egg. And so they take the egg and they stand on the ice and they keep the egg nestled um, on their feet, which is amazing. But what's what's even more amazing is that they do this for four months through the darkest, hardest of the winter in Antarctica. Um, The sun doesn't rise the whole time. It's down to minus 60 or 70, howling winds and gales. And all they can do is huddle together and wait. That's survival waiting. You see, there are lots of different kinds of ways of waiting for something. And as we look at Matthew 25 tonight, we discover that we are all waiting for something. That is the return of Christ. And the question for us is, how are we waiting Because there are different ways to be waiting. We can all be waiting in different ways. And last week we saw that um, we need to be be watching for Christ to return. Well, this week we'll see that we need to be working as we wait for Christ to return. Well, how should we wait as we work? Well, here's here's my my key sentence for tonight. We should be waiting like servants who have been commissioned to grow their master's estate. We should wait like servants who have been commissioned to grow their master's estate. I think that's the message for us tonight. That's how we should wait. Well, why is that the case? I've got three points. You'll see them in our handouts. First of all, we need to remember the master's generosity Our parable picks up right where we left off last week, if you're here with us. Um, That's clear from verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. In other words, this parable is a picture, another window into what will happen when Christ returns. Uh, The man there in, in verse 14, well, he is Christ who has gone away now into heaven, but one day will return back to earth. And uh, the servants, 
or possibly more accurately, the, the slaves. Well, again, that is the visible church. That is us sitting here tonight. Uh, we are the servants. And it's clear straight away that the master has been incredibly generous to his servants. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now what is a talent? Um, If you've ever watched um, Britain's Got Talent on telly, then um, according to Britain's Got Talent, well, a talent is a, a particular ability, something that's special about you, which you can use to show off and impress people with. And I think that's how people often think about a talent. That's what they, they, uh, comes to mind when they think of a talent. But actually, in Jesus' day, to those who first heard this parable, a talent was a, a unit of weight uh, used to uh, weigh money, uh, to measure the amount of money. Uh, and there's some debate about how much weight a talent represented. Um, I've done some research on it, and um, I think the footnote there we have is far too conservative uh, an amount. I think, in fact, that um, five talents would have been worth in today's money around two million pounds, which is a huge amount of money, what is to me anyway. <laughs> and so we need to remember the master's generosity. He has given these lowly servants an amazing opportunity, a huge amount of his estate. I don't know if, uh, if you have watched in the past the TV show, The Apprentice. Um, I have enjoyed watching it. And uh, if you do enjoy it, then you'll be glad to know they've just started filming again for the new series coming out in the autumn. Um, you may know the point of the show, which is that you have about 12 um, hungry candidates who rock up and they volunteer to endure about 10 weeks of grueling and competition and trials and testing and um, public humiliation as they compete to become Um, the next apprentice who will then get a job working for Lord Alan Sugar. That's the carrot which dangles in front of these 12 candidates. If they succeed, then they'll get £250,000, which is good, but even more importantly, they'll be able to be a business partner with Lord Alan Sugar. That's the great motivation, the great prize, to be with him and able to start a business with him. And it's meant to be a, a, a great motivation But do you see just how much more amazing this invitation is from, not from Alan Sugar, but from the Lord of the universe. He has freely given to his servants a huge share of his estate and he is saying, come, work with me, be, if you like, my business partner, help me to grow my estate while I'm away. This is a far greater privilege than working with Alan Sugar. So what does this mean for us? Well, as we've seen, Jesus is the master. His estate is the kingdom of God. So these talents that we are given as his people, well, they must, I think, represent first and foremost the gospel. For it is the gospel that allows people to enter the kingdom. It is the gospel which grows that kingdom. It is the opportunity to share the gospel, to invest in the gospel, to grow gospel ministry. And the master gives us these talents um, according to our abilities, which I think means that we each have our own particular 
abilities and ways of, of growing the gospel, of investing in the gospel, of spreading the gospel according to who we are, according to our abilities, our personalities, our background, our opportunities, our access, our time. But we all have that privilege to grow the master's estate through the gospel. I think we get a concrete example of this just three chapters later on in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. Those famous words of the Great Commission as Jesus says to his disciples to go into all nations, making disciples of all nations. That is the master commissioning his servants to go and multiply his estate. And this is a wonderful, generous gift from the master. As his servants, we've been called into the the most glorious venture of growing God's kingdom. We don't deserve it. We have no right to it. But he has, in his generosity, given us the chance to grow his estate with the gospel. And so what is the right response to this generosity? Well, it's there in verse 16. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And we should be clear that back in the first century, there, there were no stock markets. You couldn't ring up your um, shareholder and say, oh, could you invest my money in a, in a well-thought-through share portfolio? And I'll ring back in a few years and find out how the shares have done, and then you sit back and relax. No, in order to, to, to grow the money, you had to go out and do something productive. Uh, maybe, I imagine, but I'm, I wonder if it's something like you know, starting a fishing business. You know, using the initial money to buy some boats and some nets and to hire some people. And then using your creativity and your thoughtfulness and resourcefulness, you, you grow the business through blood, sweat, and tears. I think that's what it would have meant for the first hearers to go off and to invest this money to put it to work and to gain five more talents. In other words, we should wait like servants who have been commissioned to grow our master's estate. And this is the case first because we have a generous master. Second, we should remember the master's reward. Look down with me at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. That is astonishing, isn't it? What a wonderful moment. <laughs> the master says, you've been faithful with a few things, two million pounds, something of tremendous value. Now I will put you in charge of many things. That is astonishing. That is a wonderful moment. And just as an aside, I don't want to overread the parable, but I think the master's response gives us a hint as to what the new creation will be like. We won't be sitting around in the clouds strumming a harp and just lounging back and waiting for eternity to go by. 
I remember an, a, a particular lady um, in my previous church who came up to me and said, you know, I, the thought of heaven bores me. In fact, I'm scared of spending eternity just lying there doing nothing. I, I don't want to go there, she said in, in true honesty. But that is not the picture of what we will be doing in the new creation. The master says, I will put you in charge of many things. So I think we get a glimpse here that the new creation will be a place of work, of industry, not as we experience work now and all its fullness and all its stress and pressure and frustration, but rather work as it's meant to be, work of joy and satisfaction and of blessing. And notice, and and this is so important, the master rewards not I think, first and foremost, fruitfulness, but rather faithfulness. Do you see how he puts his response? He says to the servant, you have been faithful with a few things. And you see, the master's response to the one with five talents and the one who gains two talents is exactly the same. He says to both, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share my happiness. It's the same response, whether five or two. You see, the master is looking for, first and foremost, faithfulness from his servants. He knows our abilities. He knows our opportunities. But he wants a faithful servant, not, first and foremost, a fruitful servant. There was a, a lady in the church I used to, to be involved in years ago who used to um, shuffle into church on a Sunday morning. She could hardly walk. She was um, very old and very frail. And it was a real pain for her to walk. And she had to be driven everywhere. Someone had to come and collect her and bring her to church. And she couldn't leave the house on her own during the week. And in many ways, the world would look at her and say she couldn't offer much in terms of productivity but every time she saw me, she would say to me, Pete, how are you doing and how can I pray for you? Tell me, are you doing any talks? Are you leading any Bible studies? I want to know how I can pray for what you're up to. And I knew she'd pray because the next time I saw her, she'd say, oh, tell me, how was that talk? How was the event? How was the Bible study? I've been praying for you. And as I asked around the others at the church, I discovered that I wasn't the only one that she was praying for. Time and again, I met um, dozens of people, in fact, who all had the same story, that this lady prayed for them all. That is a picture of someone who is faithful with what God has given them. She was as involved, if not more, than me in growing the master's estate. She knew what she could do and what she couldn't do, and boy, did she pray The master is looking for faithfulness first and foremost. And so as we think about how we should wait, we should remember the master's reward. And I think also we see that uh, the master notices everything that we do when he thinks about his reward. Even the smallest act, the most fumbling conversation um, I googled this week, um, I, I asked Google what the biggest company in the world was, um, so this comes with the um, authority of Google alone, um, but according to Google, and it may well be right, the biggest company in the world currently is Walmart. Um, Google reckons that Walmart employs around 2 million people around the world, and the CEO of Walmart is a 
particularly with Douglas McMillan. I, I know nothing about Douglas McMillan. There's a picture of him on the website. He looks like a very friendly person. I'm sure he's a great uh, CEO of Walmart. But no matter how nice he is and how caring a boss he is, there is no way that Douglas McMillan knows anything about most of his employees. He'd have no idea what they're doing any given day. There, there are two million employees. He wouldn't have a chance. I did a quick calculation. If, if Douglas spent just five minutes talking to every employee back to back, day in, day out, seven days a week, 24 hours, it would take him 38 years to speak to every employee. But the master knows every conversation, every little stumbling, fumbling deed we've done in his service. He sees it, which is a wonderful joy. I came across a quote from J.C. Ryle in his commentary on Matthew, and he puts it like this. The Lord's servant will discover to his amazement that his master's eyes saw more beauty in his efforts to please him than he ever saw himself. He will find that every hour spent in Christ's service and every word spoken on Christ's behalf has been written in a book of remembrance. That's wonderful, isn't it? We have a generous master who rewards his servants. Which means that when I'm talking to a friend over lunch and they ask me about why I'm a Christian and I get all flustered and I, and I bumble my, my way through some sort of response and I, I walk away thinking, oh, that wasn't perfect. That wasn't quite what I wanted to say. The master knows that we're trying to be faithful. He sees every little step that we take. Remember the master's reward. There's more. Verse 21, and again, verse 23, we read, Come, share in your master's happiness. Come and share in your master's happiness. I heard on the news this morning that London now has over 100 billionaires living in in the city of London, Uh, Apparently most of them are foreigners who come from overseas to live in London because of the quality of life that you can have as a billionaire in London. Apparently there's all kinds of ways to spend your money there. And you can actually hang out with all the other billionaires doing billionaire type things. You can just have billionaire conversations and lunches and chats and, and you can enjoy the happiness of being a billionaire together with others in London. But that kind of happiness won't last, will it? It may last for a season, it may feel genuine for a time, but it is a vapor on a sunny morning. It'll disappear oh so quickly. It is fleeting, you can't hold it. And yet the master says to us that there is a happiness which will last through eternity with him. That eternity, as we said, won't be a place of lazy apathy as we lounge around focusing on ourselves. It'll be a place of work, of service. It'll be a place of restored relationship with the master, of communion with him, of of worshiping him. It'll be a place of unspoiled beauty where there are no knees that ache and backs that hurt. There'll be no cancer that ravages. It'll be a place where sin has not had its terrible effect And I don't know what you're looking forward to for your happiness, what you're hanging your hopes on to be happy in life. But I do know that this offer of happiness from the master will never disappoint. It'll never spoil. It'll never fade. 
And do you know, I think it's okay to think about that happiness from time to time. Do you know, I think sometimes as sort of British people, we get a bit very stiff upper lip and we think, well, no, we're just going to dig in and, and press on. But actually, I think it's good to time to time to, to look up and remember where we are heading as the servants of a master. We are heading to a place where we share in his happiness as we worship him and serve him for all of eternity. So why should we wait like servants who have been commissioned to grow our master's estate? Well, second, remember the master's reward. Finally, remember the master's discernment. But what about this third servant? We haven't mentioned him yet. Well, verse 24, we pick it up. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talents in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, some of us here tonight might feel just a little bit sorry for this third servant. If we've ever had the experience of being in a class with a, a really harsh teacher or if we've worked in an office with a really harsh uh, employer, we'll know that it's terrible walking around on eggshells. You're always scared of doing something wrong, even if you're trying hard. And, and, and working for a bully or someone who's harsh it, it is, is very unpleasant. And so we might just think, well, poor third servant. He didn't know what to do. He was scared. And so he, he, he played it safe. But here's the key question for us tonight as we think about the third servant. Was his assessment of the master correct? No, it wasn't right. For a start, the master is incredibly generous, outrageously generous. We saw already in verse 15, he's given lots of his estate to his servants, a significant amount, extremely generous. And do you notice how this third servant describes the master? He says that he's someone who harvests where he's not sown and gathered where he's not scattered seed. Is that true? No, it's not. Oh, don't get me wrong. The master will have a harvest, but he's paid for it. Do you know how he's paid for it? Well, flick forward to the next two chapters and you'll see how he pays for the harvest that he will get. He pays for it with his blood. The seed he sows in the ground is his life. And because of that life that he gave, he has won for himself a wonderful harvest. You see, this third servant did not know his master. He did not see his generosity. He did not know his master's mission to win a wonderful harvest. And so when the master replies uh, in verse 26, he's not affirming this wicked servant's view. He said, no, he's actually, he's quoting him back, but he's saying, really? He's saying, oh, so you knew that I harvest where I, I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Uh, not to agree with him, but to say, if that's what you think of me, then why didn't you act differently? What the master is doing is showing that the servant's made two mistakes. He has the wrong view of the master, and even if his view was right, the way he responded was wrong. He should have invested that talent and got interest and so what we realize is that this third servant has never understood the master he's never understood his generosity he's never glimpsed the reward that lies ahead of him 
He does not understand the harvest the master has bought. And as the parable ends, we see the master's discernment. He sees through all the bluster and the fast talking, and he exposes the real heart of the servant. Uh, The explanation we get in verse 29 is, is bad maths, but it is good theology. Even what he has will be taken away. Um, I think it's helpful to think back to the, the parable of the bridesmaids we looked at last week. And you, if you remember, there's five foolish bridesmaids who had a role to play in the wedding ceremony and they had a lamp to light the way with. Well, they lost the role and they lost the lamp. And I think that's the picture here with the third servant. He had a role to play amongst God's people But when the master returns and we discover he had no relationship with the master, he lost even that role that he he once had amongst God's people. This parable is not here to make genuine Christians worry or doubt. But for those of us here tonight who, um, being a Christian is just a pretense. It's just a series of actions, of, of duties, of rules and rituals. And there's no personal relationship with the master. We have never encountered his saving death on our behalf. Then this is a warning, it is a plea to come and find the master for yourself. Why not come along to the Christianity Explore course starting on Tuesday and find out more about this master and get to know him for yourself. So how should we be waiting for Christ to return? We should be waiting like servants who have been commissioned to grow our master's estate. And so as we finish, we're bound to ask the question, well, are we doing that? How are we investing the gospel in our lives? How are we sharing it with others? Or a good question to ask ourselves is this, As the person I am, with the gifts that God has given me, my personality and my opportunities, uh, what can I do? What can I do to grow the master's estate? And it will be different for each of us here tonight. And why not um, ask a friend, someone who's here tonight, saying, come on, you know me well. What kind of things do you think that I'm just naturally kind of good at or I I have a chance of, of doing well? Maybe in our small groups, it'd be a good thing just to spend 10 minutes just thinking and brainstorming of ways that we can all uh, get involved in growing our master's estate. But as I finish, my aim tonight for those who do know the master and who are seeking to be faithful, my aim is not to make us leave here tonight with a sense of guilt. Do you know the classic scenario? Uh, someone comes to us and says, oh, you know, I've got a gap on the rotor and I really need to be filled. Please, please fill the gap in the rotor. And we think, I'm really busy. I'm already serving lots of ways. And I, I, I don't know if I can. I just feel really guilty about saying no. That's not my goal tonight. Let's not make the mistake of the third servant who thinks that we have to somehow earn or impress the master. Let's not serve out of fear or a sense of condemnation, worrying that we're going to be caught out. But I think rather the question for each of us tonight is this. If we have truly encountered the master, if we have truly 
tasted of his generosity and if we are convinced of his reward, the question then becomes, why wouldn't we want to give ourselves in his service? Why wouldn't we want to grow his kingdom? Why wouldn't we want to delight him and to look forward to that moment when we meet him and we hear the well done? Why wouldn't we? Let's pray. Father, we confess again tonight that our vision of Jesus so quickly becomes dusty and tarnished and we lose sight of our master. Father, please fill our hearts once again with wonder and joy at all that he has done for us and all that he has given us. Father, please help us to leave here tonight joyful that we can indeed play a role in growing your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.